I believe that all of us would agree that clear communication is important in life. In any relationship, whether it's a working relationship, if it's a relationship at home with a spouse or child or at church with friends, any relationship is based on communication. So if you can't communicate well, then, then it's frustrating and it's hard to develop and deepen that relationship. Uh, some years ago, Dr. Chuck Swindoll wrote in his book, Job, A Man of Heroic Endurance. He told about a story of a couple that had uh, some miscommunication. There was a couple from Minneapolis who uh, were enduring a long and frigid winter, and they wanted to take a break from that, and so they decided to go to sunny Florida for a weekend. Uh, however, they had busy travel schedules, and they had trouble coordinating going together, so they decided the husband would go on Thursday and uh, go ahead and check in the hotel. The wife would fly down on Friday. And so the husband went down as scheduled, had a, had, had a great trip, arrived on Thursday, and he checked into the hotel and went to his room and opened up his laptop and decided to email his wife and let her know he arrived safely. However, when he put in her email address, he left off one letter. And so meanwhile, without, without knowing, meanwhile in Houston, Texas, a widow had just lost her husband. And he had been in ministry for years, a preacher of the gospel, and had died suddenly of a heart attack and had gone to glory. And so she has returned home and was looking for some comfort and thought, you know, I think I'll, maybe I'll just check my email. Maybe some people have written and I could find some encouraging messages. And upon reading the very first message, she fainted and fell to the floor. And this is, and so her, her son ran in, and this is, this is what her, his, uh, her son read on the computer screen. It says, to my loving wife from your departed husband. Subject, I've arrived. I have just arrived, the note says, and been checked in. Everything went very smoothly after my departure. I also verify that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine. P.S. It sure is hot down here. <laughs> you see, miscommunication can cause serious confusion. And tonight we're going to see a people who entered one area speaking the same language, and they left there in total confusion. And that's, as you know, the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Genesis 11, 1 through 9. While you're turning there, I'm just, I want to read the verses to you and uh, just prepare our hearts. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and a bitumen for mortar. And they said, or then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them 
from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over all the face of the earth. For a number of months now, we've been in a series on church history. I hope that was a blessing to you, and I hope you gained something from that. But now we're turning the page, and we're going to begin a study of Abraham. Uh, but tonight is kind of a precursor to that, just to get a, an understanding of, of the context in the book of Genesis and what was going on just prior to Abraham. And as you know, in Genesis, there's several major events that happen before the life of Abraham. There's obviously the creation of the universe in, in chapter 1 and the creation of humanity toward the, the end of chapter 1, which is also detailed in chapter 2. Then there's the, the fall into sin in Genesis chapter 3. Then in chapters 6 through 8, there's the, the flood that Noah and his family, the only ones that survive. And then right after that, uh, right after the flood in Genesis 9, in verse 1, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, that sounds familiar, right? Remember, you had, you had seen that back in, in, uh, with God speaking to Adam and Eve. Then he repeats that in verse 7. He says, And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Now, if you keep reading and you go to chapter 10, it appears that that's exactly what happened. They were fruitful, and they did multiply. You see the, the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and you read about their descendants, and you read in uh, chapter 10, verse 5, from these the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans in their nations. So you're reading there's multiple languages. They're spread out geographically. Uh, you, would, you would think, well, they've done exactly what God said to do. They've, they've been fruitful, and they've multiplied, and they're filling the earth. But then when you come to chapter 11, and it says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words, that's confusing. We said, no, wait a minute. I, it, it just, they just had multiple languages. They were spread out. Now they have one language, and they're all together. What's, what's going on here? So this is not happening chronologically. The narrator's telling this story thematically. Uh, have you ever been seen a movie where they showed the movie started somewhere in the story, then as the movie went on, it went back and told you. And you go, oh, okay, now I see how that happened. It's called putting the effect before the cause. They show you the effect, and they go back, now this is what caused the effect. So that's what's happening here. Moses is saying the result of chapter 11 is, is chapter 10. This is the, the effect, and now he's going to show you the cause in chapter 11. And the reason he did that is more impactful. As we read this, we, we pay closer attention now. We go, no, wait a minute, this, is, this is, doesn't seem right, but it is right, and it helps us to pay closer attention to the lesson that God has for us in this passage. So chapter 11 happened first, and then the result of chapter 11 was what we read in chapter 10. Chapter 10 is called the Table of Nations. And you read in verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 25, it says, uh, the, toward the, the last part of, of 25, it says, For in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. So now chapter 11 is going to tell us why the earth was divided. So as we pick it up here, it says, Now the whole earth, and I'm just going to walk through kind of verse by verse. Now the whole earth had one language and the same word. So the whole, whole earth is referring to everybody in the inhabited world at that time. So what they had done, they came down from Mount Ararat. Remember, that's where the ark rested with Noah. It landed in Mount Ararat, which would be 
over by modern-day Turkey. After that, the people descended southeast from there, and they're, they're coming down together. So they're all together. They had one language. It literally says they had one lip, referring to the instrument through which we speak. They had one lip, and they had the same word. So they easily understood each other. They, they spoke. It was, it was real clear what each other was saying. And so and as people migrated from the east, and when you, when you see the east in Scripture, uh, something, especially in Genesis, something ought to, uh, a signal ought to kind of ding in our minds. We go, wait a minute. He says east. Remember when Adam and Eve, when God put them outside the Garden of Eden, they went east because he put cherubim there by the east. Now, when you go to Genesis 13, when uh, Abraham and Lot split, Lot goes east. And we know eventually that he's going to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, If you go to Genesis 25, some of the sons of Abraham, they go east, except they were not, it was not Isaac, it was not the son of the promise. So typically in Genesis, when someone's going east, they're going away from the blessing of God. They're going out of the will of God. And so that's a signal to us here. They migrated from the east. And uh, so we think, boy, they're, they're doing something here that's going to be outside the will of God. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. The land of Shinar in, in ancient Mesopotamia was called uh, Sumer and Akkad. And it was a very fertile area located in between the Tigris and Euphrates River. So it naturally would have been a great place to settle down. Easily, easier to, uh, to live there, rivers close by. So it, it makes sense. And once they're there, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And, and they had brick for stone and, and bitumen for mortar. Now, Moses has given us detail here because the, because the, Israel, the later Israelites who would read this, they were used to Palestine. They were used to the land of Canaan, what we know as the promised land, which had rock, which had stone. That's what they used for their building materials. That's what was used in the temple later, years later. They used stone. But here... And and, uh, the topography is different over in in modern-day Iraq, and so they would use, they would would bake bricks and use that for, um, to to build something. So that's why he's given us a little bit extra detail here. And what they want to do, they said, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Now, we believe this tower would have been what was called a ziggurat. And I've got, a, I've got a couple of pictures here to show you. A ziggurat was a place of uh, worship for, the, for this. For, it was a place where the ancient God was thought to descend down from heaven and come down and would dwell in the top and on the bottom. And so it was really just a, 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 an ancient stepladder is what it was. It was a stepladder up, up to heaven. And it was um, rectangular or square at the bottom, and there was a little bit of place at the top that was painted blue. It had a table and a bed in it. And the idea was that the God would come down and dwell in this room and would, would be there to meet the needs of the people. And so they thought, we're, we're going to build this ziggurat. We're going to build this building so we can ascend up into heaven. You just you, you can see the arrogance in there. We're, we're, we're going to ascend up into heaven. We're going to go up to God. That, that, that's, that's, that's who we are. And the archaeological remains of a ziggurat in Babylon, you can still, uh, there's apparently a bare outline of, it, of the foundation is still there. Uh, the foundation dates back to 1800 B.C. And um, the, uh, the destruction of it occurred in the hands of Xerxes in 472 B.C. 
And Alexander the Great actually planned to rebuild it, uh, but, but never did. And so notice the two reasons of why they wanted to build a city and a tower. Um, it says, let us make a name for ourselves. That's the first reason. Let us, let us make a name from themselves. Now, um, the Hebrew word for tower, it comes from the root gadol, which means to be great. Let's make something that will make us great. We want to be great. We want to be independent. We want, we're self-interested. We want to promote ourselves. And um, this, this desire for independence, this desire for greatness, it's not just talking about making a great name for themselves in terms of reputation, but it's referring to autonomy. I want to be separate from God. I want to be independent of him. I, I, I don't need him, and so I want to do something that's going to shine the light on me. So Because I, 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 I want to be great, they said. They want to be independent from God. And this is, this is what Adam and Eve did, right? That's what they go all the way back. And I don't want to obey what God did. I want to do what I want to do because this looks good to me, and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to eat it. So it's that, just that sinful, rebellious human nature that all of us have. Now, in the Bible, it doesn't talk about we, we shouldn't make a great name for ourselves. In fact, it says God is the one who makes a great name for himself. If you look in Jeremiah 32, 20, it says that God shows signs and wonders in Egypt, and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself. Jeremiah's uh, there in Jeremiah 32, 20. The Nehemiah 9:10 says, And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. So that the signs and the wonders that God did were to make a name for himself, to show that he is great, that he is awesome. He's worthy of worship and praise. And now you've got, you've got humanity saying, no, we want to make a name for ourselves. We, we want to get the attention. We want everybody to look at us. And then notice the final motivation for building this city and this tower. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. You hear the, hear the fear in that? We're going to build because we don't want to be dispersed. Now, it's interesting. We, we know this passage is the Tower of Babel. It's really about God dispersing the people because the word dispersed is used three times in this passage. So it's really about God sending out his people. It's about him judging the people because they, they rebelled against him. And so um, remember all the way back, we read in Genesis 9 in two different places. We read, you read it in Genesis 1, God said, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, and so they're saying, no, we're not going to fill the earth. We're, we're going to stay together. We're going to be united. And God is all about unity, but unity and doing it his way, not man's way. So they said, no, we're not going to fill the earth. We're going to do it the way we want to do it. And um, we're going to stay together. We're going to build something that's going to exalt ourselves because we're afraid of what God might do to us if he were to disperse us on the face of the earth. So let me give you, I just have two points for you tonight. And here's, here's the first point. Our desire for autonomy, that is that desire for independence, to be free from the reign of God, leads to self-promotion and avoidance of God's plan. Our desire for autonomy leads to self-promotion and avoidance of God's plan. Now, if you visit Buckingham Palace today, you'll see these guys wearing red coats, black pants, and these tall bearskin hats on their heads, right? They're known as the Queen's Guard, the Queen's Guards. There's not a bunch of them, but there's some that are there. And usually there's two if, if the Queen's away. If, if she's there, there's four. And they, they, they're very still, and people try to make them laugh, and they, they march back and forth sometimes. Did you know they can only march back and forth if they stayed still for 10 minutes? 
They have to be completely still for 10 minutes. And if they feel like they're going to faint, they have to, they've been taught to what's called to faint at attention. So that means they've got to stay at attention and they're just going to fall over. They're taught to faint at attention. And um, did you know if they get caught smiling by a superior officer, they could be fined up to one week's pay? Isn't that interesting? They've got, those are some pretty strict rules, right, for, for, these, for these guys. Well, it's, it makes it even more interesting because there's a guardsman in 2014 who um, obviously knew the rules because he's doing his job, but he thought, hey, I think I'll entertain the tourists a little bit. And so as he's walking back and forth, he decides he's spinning around and he's, you know, bending over and he's kind of doing all this and just trying to be cute. Well, somebody got it on video. They're sitting there videoing him. He's trying to be funny. He's 20 years old. His name was Samuel Jones. And so uh, this is what one of Samuel's friends said. He said, it was just a prank, and everyone is hoping his bosses don't make too much of an example out of him. Then an Army spokeswoman said, we are aware of the video. Anyone who is found to fall short of the Army's high standards can expect to face appropriate action. (laughs) He got caught. Isn't it interesting? Now, Now, we can see someone's rebellion out in the open like that and think, well, that's just so silly. What silly? Why, why would he do that? But isn't it much harder to see the rebellion in our own hearts? It's easier to see it in somebody else's. It's easier to see it in your kids. It's easier to see it in your neighbors. It's easier to see it in your spouse sometimes. You think, well, you're being rebellious. But it's harder to see in our own hearts. And so I want to give you just some questions just for starter, just for you to think about. Sometimes if we ask the question, why? That can get to the heart of the motives of, what we're, of what, why we're doing what we're doing. Let me give you some questions. Why do I want to coach my child's sports team? By the way, I, I have coached my child's sports, and I, and I love it. But really the question is, why do I want to do it? Because I like to control? Because I want people to look at me? Why, why do I want to do it? Okay, There's, that's one question. Why do I want to serve on that board? Why, what, why would I want to serve on that board? So people can say, wow, look at him. Why do I want to go back to school? Why, why do I want that promotion? Why do I want to, to work out so much? What, whatever, whatever the thing is for you, why, why do you want to do that? Why is it that you find yourself doing that? Why, what, why, this is a question to ask yourself. Why, why, do I, why would I not go on a mission trip? What, what, what would keep you from going on a mission trip? Why, what, why do I want to be a deacon? Why do I want to be a life group leader? Why do I want to be an elder? What, what, what's, what's the motive behind what we're doing? Is it really to serve the Lord, to be faithful to Him, to make His name great? Or is it there's something in us that says, you know what, I, w- I want to make a name for myself. I, I think I would like people to think more highly of me instead of, instead of just drawing all attention to the Lord. And so, um, boy, it didn't turn out very well for the people at, at the Tower of Babel. Because in verse 5, the center of the passage, it says, uh, they wanted to do things their way, and uh, God said, okay. And so, it's, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. Isn't it interesting, just the irony? They want to build something to go to heaven, and God said, I, I, well, first of all, he can see everything. But the, the, it's in the story this way just to show you the sheer irony. They're going to go up to him, he says, I've got to come down to even see it. I'm so, I'm so much higher above you and so much holier. You're, you're so far down here. I've got to come down just to even see what this big thing that you're building. And the Lord came down to see the city and tower, which the children of man had built. And the children of man literally means sons of humankind. It refers to the mortal, the frail, the earthly nature of man. 
And man is so limited and temporal. We're created in the image of God, but we're limited. And God is eternal. So I'm going to go down to see what, what this limited, uh, what these limited people have built. And it says, um, uh, which the children of man have built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. And they have, they, they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. The concern of God here is that this group is one people. He has told them to disperse, to be multiplied, fill the earth, to fill his purposes, to further his kingdom. And now they're all staying together. And so that, that's what God is concerned about. He's, he's, he's absolutely for unity. Jesus prayed for unity in John 17. But unity comes through a relationship with him and through fellowship with other believers, not through a human self-made effort and through disobedience to him. Notice it says, um, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Does that sound like any other verse in Scripture? Remember the end of the book of Job in Job 42 where Job says, I know that you can do all things. Nothing uh, will be uh, something like, um, what is it? Job 42, 42. Uh, verse 2, uh, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of yours, that word thwarted is the one used here. Uh, two, two words used in Genesis 11, verse 6, are also used in Job 42, 2. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. That, means, that is, nothing you desire to do is, is impossible. In other words, God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. He will always accomplish what he, because he's God. He can do whatever he pleases. And so the people at Shinar, was, was, they were about to learn the same lesson that Job had to learn the hard way. Remember when Job had all those questions? Or, you know, God, well, I wish I would never been born. He went through all this, and then all of a sudden God had a, a number of questions for him. And he just said, you know, I, I, I really wish I would never would have said anything, essentially. I, I repent in dust and ashes. I know that, God, that you can do all things. Now my eye sees you. He sees how awesome God is. He says, you know, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God will accomplish whatever he wants. And that, that's, that's the sense here. Now the people of Shinar have been disobedient. They're about to learn that God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And they're, they're, they're going to have to experience his wrath and his judgment because of that. And so, um, so here, here he comes. It says, um, come, let us go down, and they're confused their language. Now God's either talking to the Father is talking to the other two members of the Trinity, the, the Son and the Spirit, or he's talking to his angelic host in heaven. I don't know which one it is. I personally think it's probably the, the Son and the Spirit. It could be either one. I don't really think it matters. But he's, uh, but it's, it's interesting because in verse 3, they're saying, come, let us make bricks. And God says, come, let us go down. And so here, here he comes. And they're confused, their language. And... So that they may not understand one another's speech. Now God is reversing the plot here, and the term, the verb for confused is balal. It means to mix things up. God's going to come down and just mix up that one united language, so they no no longer be able to understand each other, and there'll be confusion. And so here comes verse eight nine. He says, "So the Lord gives us a summary of what happened next. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. So they came." The whole earth came and had one language, and now the whole earth leads and is going to fill the earth. Just as God said, he originally told them, that's what he told them to do. Um, they dispersed from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. 
Man, those great aspirations, we're going to make a name for ourselves, it's going to touch into heaven, and they leave it unfinished. And now it's a monument to their disobedience. People could come by there and, man, what, what is that there for? Oh, man, they, they disobeyed God. He, told them, he never told them to build it in the first place. You know what's interesting here? Until God speaks, you never see the people speaking to him. No, no one said, God, what would you have us do? God, would you have us build this building? God, would you have us do this? Would you have us go here? Would you have us go there? Nobody's talking to God. When we're rebelling against God, it's likely we're not praying to him. When we're in willful, diso- willful disobedience to him, there's, we're probably not ha- even having a quiet time. If we are, there's not much to it. It's when we're, we're growing, we're in fellowship with him. It's like we can't get enough. It's like, man, I want to pray more. I want to spend more time in the word. I want to obey more. I want to be used more. I want to bear more fruit for him. But when we're in disobedience, that desire is not as strong. It's like, no, I, I think I'll sleep in today. I, 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 I really, because there's conviction. As Dr. Charles Stanley he calls it holy heat. It's that, that holy heat, it's that conviction that we feel when we're, we're not right with God. And then someone around us starts talking about God. We feel that holy heat. We feel that conviction. And so uh, the Lord dispersed from them all over the face of the earth. They left off the building. Um, there, the Brunsons used to live in um, Jacksonville, and we would go there to visit them sometimes. And on their street, there was a house. They started building it. It looked like it was going to be a really nice house. But then they stopped building it. Just for some reason, it stopped. And it stayed that way for a long time. And we would drive by and you always wonder, like, man, I wonder what's going on with that house. It looks like it would be a, a really nice house, but, man, are they ever going to finish this house and come back a few months later and it's, boy, it's, man, they still haven't finished this house. And that went on, I don't know how long, it seemed like a year or two. Um, and then finally I found out one day that the couple started building the house and then they got a divorce right in the middle of, of building a house. And so now this house stood as a monument to a failed marriage. Isn't that interesting? And someone else came along and bought it, and they finished it, and it turned out to be a nice house. But here's a monument in Babel that is a monument, or this tower is a monument to disobedience. They've not obeyed God, and it's there for all to see that this is a monument. That's what happens. There's consequences when we choose to disobey God. And so verse 9, therefore, uh, its name was called Babel. So Babel sounds like the word for confuse that we just talked about to mix things up, which is Balal, B-A-L-A-L. And so Babel sounds like confusion. So God says, I'm going to call the place confusion. I'm going to call it Babel. And eventually it became Babylon. This is where the ancient city of Babylon was. So its name was called Babylon because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed, which is what they were afraid of, the Lord dispersed them over all the face of the earth. So now they get to do what they didn't want to do. Uh, now Babel eventually became, as we just said, the city of Babylon. And later the Babylonian kingdom were the ones that came in, three different campaigns to Jerusalem and brought some of the Israelites back, the, the, uh, the, the influential. Remember, they brought Daniel back. Uh, the Babylonians, they were a wicked people, but God used them to judge his people until 539 when Cyrus the Persian came in and conquered Babylon. But yet in the larger context of Scripture, so you read a lot about Babylon and Isaiah and Jeremiah and a little bit in Ezekiel, but in the larger context of Scripture, Babylon just represents rebellion against God. It's that worldly, prideful, humanistic 
idolatrous uh, system of rebellion against God. You, so you go to the book of Revelation. In Revelation 18, it says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. So it's this Babylon is more than just a city. It's this system of rebellion against God. It goes all the way back here to Genesis 11. Isn't that interesting? And really Genesis 10 because it says Nimrod is the one who built it, this city. So Nimrod built it. You know the other city that Nimrod also built was Nineveh, which was also a wicked city, which, uh, praise God, they, a bunch of them, they, through Jonah, which we're going through in life groups right now, they turn and repent. But still, it was a, uh, it was a wicked, those were the two cities that he built. Really interesting. And today, there are roughly, how many languages spoken in the world today? Does anybody know? Roughly 6,500 languages spoken in the world today. You know what the number one is? It's not English. I thought it was English. Mandarin Chinese. Mandarin Chinese. So, so many people live over there, you know, over a billion people. And so um, it's, just, it's so interesting. All of that goes right back to here, Genesis chapter 11. Rebellion, and God says, you don't want to be dispersed. I'm going to, to disperse you because I will accomplish my will in this earth. So where does Abraham fit in the midst of all this? Well, the people at Shinar disobeyed God because they wanted to make a name for themselves and they didn't want to be dispersed, which they ultimately were. But this account in Genesis 11 explains how the nations were scattered and why there are so many languages in the world today. So this passage would later serve as a warning to Israel. Remember, Moses was writing this through the, by the Holy Spirit. So later Israel would read this and they would be warned, man, we, we had better obey God or God's going to judge us. Judge us. And so as this story ends, there's no resolve to it at the end of the Tower of Babel. If you were reading this uh, the first time, you would you know, think, man, what, what happened? What's, what, what, what was the next scene? Is, 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 um, is anybody going to obey God? How, how is God going to work on the earth? Is, is anybody going to listen to God? And um, it's interesting, in, in verse 7 in, uh, here in Genesis, the word for understand is the word shema. That is over in Deuteronomy 6.4. It says, Hear, O Israel, hear the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the word Shema is here used in Genesis 11, verse 7. And so one, one commentator I read said, you know, it could just refer to the people couldn't understand each other, but it also could be they weren't listening. They weren't listening to God, and therefore they couldn't really listen to each other. And so the, the book is looking who is going to listen to God. These people obviously didn't. So is there anybody who's going to listen to God? And then chapter 12 comes. And it says, now Abram, the Lord said to Abram, and Pastor will get into this next week, I'm sure. But now we're introduced to a man who's going to obey God. God tells him, I want you to, essentially, I want you to leave everything. There's three different levels of things he wants you to leave. And, but he says, I want you to leave your father's household, which was the most significant he said, and I will and go to the land that I will show you. And look what he says in verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. This people wanted their name to be great. Now, let me ask you a question. What are the names of any of the people in chapter 11? We don't know their names. Isn't that interesting? They want to make a, a name, a great name for themselves, and yet we don't know any of their names. But you go in chapter 12, you have one man who said, 
I'll obey God. Even though Hebrews 11 says, Abraham obeyed God even though he didn't know where he was going. He obeyed God. And God said, I'll make your name great. And here we are talking about Abraham. Even has, a, even has his own song, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons of Father Abraham. Here we are talking about him. God, God made his name great. It's fascinating. Well, God would use Abraham to develop a group of people known as the Hebrews. The Hebrews eventually became the nation of Israel, who were supposed to be, according to Isaiah 42, I believe it's verse 6, a light to the nations. So Abraham would do what the people of Shinar failed to do, and that was obey God. Now, we see the reverse of our passage in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2. Remember when the Holy Spirit comes? The church started there. So the people were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So all of a sudden, confusion was eliminated. Isn't that that interesting? The Lord, this Holy Spirit blew in, and people could understand. They could hear people speak in their own native language. So now there's no more confusion, but there's, there's transparency. They could hear. And so the church begins there. People began to speak and understand. And then those people in the book of Acts are scattered all over the earth. Even though it took persecution to do it, they still, they scattered. By the end of the book of Acts, Paul and the gospel are in Rome. So the reverse, not, not completely because you have to wait till Jesus comes back, but part, the partial reverse of the curse of Babylon happened when the Holy Spirit came. And uh, just, this is fascinating. So this brings us to our second and final point tonight. Our desire for autonomy causes us to miss God's best and experience humiliation. Our desire for autonomy causes us to miss God's best and experience humiliation. So instead of being used by God, the people of Shinar are sent away in judgment by God. And they miss his best. They don't get to participate in his plan. And so their aspirations for a name and impressive tower were destroyed. They were humiliated. And so here's, let me give you just two quick application points. First, let's commit to obeying God the first time. Let's commit to obeying God the first time. Boy, I don't know how many, you've probably said this to your kids. I don't know how many times we've said it to our kids. First time obedience. First time obedience. That's just, that's just one of the basics, right? You want first time obedience. You, you don't want to have to repeat yourself. You don't want to have to, you know, one, two, uh, you know, uh, I love you. But if you do that, that's, that's not an effective parenting strategy. Because <laughs> what you're teaching your children is when God says something, you've got a few seconds to think about it. You know, no, when God says something, you do it. That's why we try to teach our children first-time obedience. And I know we, we make mistakes in parenting all the time, but our heart is we want to teach them first-time obedience. When God says something, do it. That's, that's where we want to get them to one day. And so, uh, man, um, if God just prompts on your heart to say, I'm sorry to somebody, say you're sorry. Just what, what, whatever it is, whatever God puts on your heart to do, just just do it. I was listening to a message one t- This was... Uh, not that long ago, maybe a year or so ago, I listened to a message by Pastor Simbola, um, and he said, you know, he just, God had convicted him, and he, he, he felt like there were either two or three people God had brought to mind that he needed to apologize to. And so he was explaining, and while he was doing that, the Lord brought somebody to my mind. I thought, oh, and I guess I got to do this too. And I went, and I went and made the call. The person picked up immediately. You know, it was like less than a two-minute call, but I said, hey, I just want you to know, if I've if I've done anything to hurt you, I just want you to know I'm sorry. And um, oh, it was and it was it was a beautiful conversation. God brought healing, and I'm just saying. There, I, and I don't always do that. There are times where God prompts me, and I oh, well, you know, let me think about that a little bit, or you know, let me I'll do that. I'll do that tomorrow. 
You know, maybe sometimes the Lord prompts you to share the gospel and you think, well, maybe now's not a good time. But what if we had that, we say, you know what, I'm going to obey God the first time. As soon as he says it, man, I'm on it. I'm, I'm going to obey. And then the second, let's commit to make, making God's name great. Let's commit to making God's name great. The last part, I love this verse, Isaiah 26, 8. says, your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. Your name and remembrance, and uh, your your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. What if that were the desire of our soul? Say, man, the name of God, for Him to be glorified and His remembrance, His fame in the earth. What if that were the desire of our soul, the deepest part of our lives? Oh, it's incredible what what God could do if that if that were really true of our lives and of our church. When uh, Coach John Wooden was the basketball coach at, at UCLA, he had a rule that players could not have facial hair, and they, if their hair on their head had to be, couldn't be any longer than two inches. Well, you, you've probably heard the story, but one player decided to test him on that, and that was Bill Walton. And so uh, the previous year, uh, the, uh, the Bruins had won the national championship and undefeated. Uh, in fact, in all of Walton's years there, they were like 84 and 6. Just un- They won two national titles. Well, he had won the player of the year, so he felt like he had a little bit of leverage and and so he shows up the first day of practice, and Coach Wooden comes in, and he goes, what's this? And he kind of he puts his fingers in and says, what's this? And, and Walton's like, come on, Coach, what, what, what's this all about? He said, um, you know, I, I mean, I won the player of the year last year, and, you know, I mean, he just is going on and on. And Coach goes, and he goes, you know, and Coach, you don't have the right to tell me that I, I need to shave and I need to cut my hair. He said, you're right, you're right, Bill. I don't, have the t- I don't have the right to tell you that, but I, I just have the right to determine who plays, and we're going to miss you. And uh, he said, in fact, you've got, you've got 15 minutes to, um, you know, to get your hair. And Walton just kind of was in shock, and he goes, 14. And Walton got up and took off, and uh, he got back, and he said, I got back to practice, and I stood in the back of the line just hoping Coach wouldn't notice that I was five minutes late for the drills. But obviously, he didn't, he didn't cut him off the team. But what, what, if, what if Walton would have just said, you know what? No, I, I think I'll kind of like my, my face. I think I'm just going gonna to sit it out. His autonomy would have cost him his place on the team. And I just wonder, what might you and I miss out on if we fail to obey what God tells us to do? So I don't know what God may be prompting you to do tonight. Maybe it's something you're thinking about. Maybe it's a neighbor to share with. Maybe it's a mission trip to go on. Maybe it's something God's just been, you feel like he's been poking at you and you know, maybe you just thought, no, I think I'll put that off. I, th- I don't think now's the time. Um, but whatever it is, I want to encourage you to obey him. Just do it, do it the first time. And that way uh, it's, it's better for you and you get to be involved in his plan rather than experiencing his judgment. So um, any questions, any thoughts on the book of um, Genesis chapter 11? I believe Pastor will probably pick up in chapter 12 next week. Everybody okay? Y'all happy? I'm happy. All right. Let's, let's bow our heads and pray.